Well, hello there, my fellow Redskins fans and followers. This is, of course, Brent from Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. In fact, this right here on March 15th, 2020, the Ides of March, is the 16th and what I believe will necessarily be the final episode of the fifth season of Burgundy Blogcast. That's hard to believe. And yes, it's been over two full months since you and I have met here on these pod waves to talk about our Redskins. At the time of that last pod in January, of course, new head coach Ron Rivera had been hired by Dan Snyder. He had tabbed Jack Del Rio and Scott Turner as his top lieutenants and then Eric Schaefer, had been dismissed, and our beloved Doug Williams had been reassigned from a key personnel executive role to one in player development. And since that time, uh, technically a few things have changed or evolved with the Redskins, particularly with Trent Williams and Brandon Sheriff, and a few odd rumors here and there otherwise. But for the most part, we haven't had any real concrete action. That is, until tomorrow. The unofficial, but really fairly official start to free agency 2020. It is fully on, coronavirus be damned. And with the new CBA fully ratified, NFL teams, including the Redskins, are going to be absolutely making it rain starting tomorrow at noon. And as I think this free agency period will almost certainly have great significance in Ron Rivera's bid to rejuvenate this moribund franchise. So I felt it was only appropriate to record this one last pod before things potentially go buck wild. So let's roll. Let's tackle Trent first, shall we? The Redskins obviously screwed up the Trent Williams situation very, very badly last year under Bruce Allen's watch. They did not get any games played out of him, and they were unable to recoup any assets in a trade for him. Assets which, depending on which rumor you believe, may have included up to a late first-round pick, but almost certainly a second if Bruce Allen had been able to swallow his pride at the beginning of the year and sell him off for reasonable market value. Instead, since then, he has realistically depreciated at least a little bit, although for his age, even at 32, he will still be in what most would consider prime years, and he appears to be fully recovered from his scalp issue, and you could maybe even argue that he's fresher now than he was then after an extended layoff. Most importantly for trade purposes, although he still only has the one year left on his contract, He is still very, very good. He's a very good player. He's certainly not the best tackle in the NFL, as Jay Gruden was fond of saying, or at least we certainly have no business describing him in such a way at this point, but he's top tier. There's no reason to think he's not top tier, and I'm certain a lot of teams would love to have him on their roster. That said, Trent may have overplayed his hand a little bit here. He certainly demonstrated his principle and resolve by holding out for the full 10 weeks last year prior to reporting and then almost immediately being deactivated. But he, of course, cost himself a crap ton of money by refusing to play, and he's not going to make it all back up. He's not going to get an astronomically huge contract, or even one commensurate, probably, with his actual present skills. Because, number one, this dragged on so long that nobody can be entirely sure what he's still got left in the tank, and two, because he can't actually get out of Dodge via trade, because he's demanding so much money, and it seems nobody wants to pay his contract demands and the Redskins' trade demands simultaneously. You knew most of this, I think, but I'm just trying to summarize why the situation is sticky. Me, personally, when I try to net that out, I think basically this. He's really not somebody that you want on your team or in your locker room right now if you're the Redskins. He has definitely become toxic. And it would be really nice to clear his 12 million-ish cap number off the books and have it to use either this year or next. And it would be really nice to recoup your missing second round pick. And, and, I would say, you as the Redskins 
really do still have some leverage, even in light of all the things I just said, because number one, no other team can truly know your, the, the depth of your conviction on any, any of those. No other team can truly know for a fact that you may be committed and even desperate to unload him. And secondly, because he is still under contract for a year, he's probably not going to hold out and eat even more money and just, just abandon even more paychecks. I mean, maybe, but gosh, how dumb would he look? How humiliated would he be to do that? And if you take it further, you could potentially even franchise him next year at a number that, you know, even then would not be outrageous for his skills and abilities, especially for the short term. So to me, yeah, you want him gone and you want to get him, you want to get something back for him, but you're not compelled. You're not technically compelled. You're not practically compelled. The Redskins can afford to slow play this. They don't desperately need that $12 million back right away. They're probably not trying to blow their entire wad tomorrow or even in this calendar year. Even if Ron is aiming for a fast rebuild, it is still a rebuild. They can hold on to him for a little bit, and I have no problem with the Redskins playing hardball with Trent Williams. Last year, there was medical stuff involved. There was uh, feelings and emotions and sentiment involved. That stuff has been stripped away. Bruce is gone. Larry Hess is gone. And this is business now. And I think the Redskins should put the screws to him and get back everything they can. I want a second round pick for Trent. I'm hoping I can get it before the draft. If it's really obvious that it's not going to materialize, you might be able to talk me into two thirds or a third and a future second or something like that. Something along the lines of the Dwayne Brown deal a few years ago. But especially knowing that if Trent plays out his last year or stays, and even if he doesn't play it out, but then walks in free agency and the Redskins could stand to recoup a third-round compensatory pick. There's no sense dealing them off now for anything less than that. So I think they should stick to their, their guns, and I think there's a good chance that, that it could work. Now, what are you going to do if he goes? It's definitely a setback for your line, but not necessarily a fatal flaw. You could look at a Jason Peters. You could try to squeeze another year out of Donald Penn. You could bring in Cordy Glenn, who the Bengals just cut. I think it's very, very hard to find a very, very good left tackle like Trent Williams is, but I don't actually think it's that incredibly hard to find a passable one. I mean, Donald Penn was a passable one last year, and they found him at the last second and paid him nothing. As for the other side of the line, it's obviously good that the Redskins franchise tagged Brandon Sheriff because it obviously would have been bad to let him go. Now, ideally, they'll be able to work out a long-term contract before the season starts. And I don't have any inside info on this, but it seems like there's a decent chance that could happen. If it doesn't happen, you got to start to worry there's a pretty high chance he might be gone after next year. But even though he's had some injuries and even though he made some penalties last year... Come on, the guy's really freaking good, and guards are almost as important as tackles these days. I'm glad he'll definitely be sticking around for the short term, and I'm pretty confident he'll be around for the long term, and and they should make that a priority. Morgan Moses, to his right, has been super duper iffy these last couple of years. Tons of penalties, and just not particularly reliable, especially in pass pro. A warrior, he guts through every little injury, he plays, he posts, but a little bit disappointing since he signed his big contract. I think even though he's potentially upgradable, the new staff having a lot of holes to fill right now is probably just going to let it ride with him. And who knows, maybe a new position coach will do him some good. He needs to pick it up, but I don't think he's a disaster and they can live with him there. Let's wrap for a few minutes about the QB situation. First of all, no, I don't think it's realistic that the Redskins would draft Tua. I do think Tua is potentially draftable at number two. I think maybe in a different year, under different circumstances, if the Redskins were sitting right here, I'd probably be thinking, yeah, that's a totally viable direction to go. The only thing that gives me pause on Tua is the injury history. Beyond that, I think Tua is going to be a badass. I personally think that Tua's NFL projection is higher and his career will be better than Dwayne Haskins. I know, I know that that's like a totally 
maybe reckless thing to predict because it's, it's so dependent on you know where does you know where does Dwayne Haskins go from here? How does the staff treat him? Do they believe in him? Does he you know does he stick here? Does he get moved? Does he get a fair chance? And same with Tua, where does he get drafted? But I guess I'm saying in a vacuum on the same team with the same coaches, my my bet would be that Tua would develop into a better player than Haskins. The injuries on Tua, including two big ankle injuries, and then of course most recently and most importantly the hip injury, uh, certainly they give cause for pause. My gut though is that he's going to fully recover from the hip. I think the ankle things may have been a little bit overstated anyway. And I think even though he's not the tallest guy in the world, he's actually built pretty well. He's kind of a thick, stocky dude. No one can really see the future on this. I just kind of have this gut that Tua is not going to be an injury-prone quarterback and have an injury-derailed career. And I think his skills plus his intangibles make him a really, really good bet to be a great player. Alas, I just don't really see it happening right now. I think he's potentially an upgrade for the Redskins, but not definitely. And with Haskins in the fold, I think you can live with yourself for passing on him, even if he does pan out, and so I think they will. It gives them the opportunity to draft Chase Young, which is just what they should do. If somebody offers them legitimately three firsts for that pick, and if one of them is in the top five of this draft, then yeah, the decision gets hard. The decision gets hard, and then you have to rely on Kyle to tell you what's the expected benefit of those picks. I mean, for whatever that's worth. No no one knows that for sure either, of course, but three firsts, including at least one definitely good one, plus maybe a kicker or a decent player, and you're thinking about it. Anything short of that, you just draft Chase Young, move along, and high-five the hell out of everyone in the room. No draft pick is a slam dunk. They're just not. Mario Williams went number 1.1. He had a good career, but not a totally unbelievable one. Courtney Brown was a pass rusher that got drafted super high. He didn't pan out. Vernon Golston, remember him? Number six overall pick by the Jets. Total bust. Chase Young is not automatic, but he's pretty close by NFL draft expert standards. Just take him. Just take him. Be glad you lost all those games in December of last year. Just take him and move on and be happy. But coming back to quarterbacks, Haskins is the guy here. If you followed me on Twitter last year, if you listened to my podcast last year, you probably know that at best, I'm lukewarm on him. And that's at best. Yes, I know that in his last couple of games, he looked a lot better in his last six quarters as a rookie quarterback. He was really good. He was really good against two pretty crappy defenses in some games that didn't matter. But but good. He, did, he looked much better. And so it gave me a little bit of hope. At least he put some things on film. That gave us some hope. But if I have anything in Haskins right now, it is more hope than it is confidence. Most of his year was really, really bad. You could make excuses for it. You would say that the coaches didn't put him in the best positions for success. You'd probably be right. You could say that he didn't, uh, you know, start a lot of games as a college player, and you would be right. You could say that the supporting cast around him, both on offense and defense, was poor, and you'd be right. But I just have this philosophy that when the best things you can say about a player are excuses, when your case for confidence in him, in his future, is built mostly on excuses, it doesn't mean he's bad, but it certainly doesn't tell you that he's good. So we just don't know. I mean, we at best, we don't know. We could hope. He's got the big arm. He made some nice plays, but not a ton. And for me, personally, I'm sorry that I'm still living in this frame of mind. I'm sorry, but it's reality. To me, the rumors and the whispers and the, and, you know, reports in some cases about the light bulb just really not coming on for him until the very end of the year, if, if it did at all, they, they were too many to ignore. And frankly, this, by the way, even if he started bad, even if he started by not getting it and either, either not understanding what it took or not putting in the work, whatever it was, even if he started that way, but then sort of figured it out and as a starter began to take it more seriously and the light bulb did eventually come on. I'm pretty hung up on the fact that it was off for so long to begin with. I'm not inclined to give him a pass for not working as a starter 
for not working as if he were the starter, preparing that way from the very beginning, just because he was either young or new or not an experienced starter in college or whatever. I just, I don't, I don't like it. It's a red... It's a red flag that I'm still stuck on that he came into the league not busting his ass. It's better that he seems to have, or at least he may have fixed it by the end of the year, than if he hadn't. Duh, it's better. But the idea that he showed up without the requisite work ethic is something that he is going to wear for a little while, in my eyes. Basically, until he proves for an extended period that it was an aberration. Because until he does, I fear that it may be the default. And as I transition now into what I think the Redskins are going to do about him and at his position, I'm painting the context that I believe that these new coaches, most importantly Ron and also Scott Turner, will have heard enough and learned enough by now about how last year went from people who are still part of the team or affiliated with the team, including ownership group, including random people who work at Redskins Park, including his special teams coach and his running running backs coach, both of whom are holdovers and would have been, you know, witnesses firsthand to Haskins' early development. I'm pretty sure they've heard enough by now to be a little bit, maybe not worried, maybe not even concerned, but possibly concerned and at least cautious about what they've got in Haskins. And therefore, yeah, I'm one of the people who thinks that the Redskins are about to make a fairly significant move for another quarterback. My gut says that your QB2 is not going to be Matt Moore or Mike Glennon or Chase Daniel. I just have this feeling that the other quarterback that the Redskins are going to sign is going to be, well, possibly somebody who they sign with the intention of starting. Or if not, and maybe a little more likely, somebody who, who won't be guaranteed the starting job, but who really legitimately truly does have a chance of beating Haskins out for that starting job. I do wonder a little if a guy like Jameis Winston could come into play. Um, Rivera, of course, has been in the habit of facing his Buccaneers twice a year as Panthers head coach. I do wonder a little if they would kick around the idea of trading for a Derek Carr, if uh, John Gruden has truly gotten sick of him in uh, Vegas. But there's two pretty big name guys in particular, even above them, who I think that Rivera and Scott Turner have probably thought long and hard about trying to bring in. And one is Cam Newton, who Rivera had with with the Panthers, and one is Teddy Bridgewater, who Scott Turner had with the Vikings. Our two guys, as far as I can tell, love those two guys. Ron loves Cam, and I've heard some stuff about Scott loving Teddy. And if what they've got right now in Haskins is a quarterback with some upside, but in whom they just don't yet have trust, and if what they believe they're trying to execute is a relatively fast rebuild or turnaround, then what they're going to want is a, a replacement or at least a competitor for Haskins who they do trust, someone who they do know. And of course, we already know that Ron is is not at all hesitant to bring guys, players, and coaches he knew, and front office executives too, who he worked with and and prospered with in Carolina. Now, Cam is still under contract with the Panthers. He would have to be acquired by trade. Teddy is a free agent. And I personally am just not quite as certain as many others are that he is going to find a spot where he is handed the starter's gig. This could all completely fall apart and make me look like an idiot at 12.01 tomorrow when Bruce Arians throws $32 million a year at him to be the replacement for Jameis Winston. I mean, I realize that that is possible. I know that Teddy started five games in Drew Bees' absence last year, and the Saints won all of those games, and he looked pretty good. But I'm just leaning towards the league still kind of viewing him more as a fringe starter than a sure thing. And if that's true, and if what he's going to have to settle for is an opportunity to compete 
for QB1, then he's going to want a spot where he has a chance. And I think he would view this spot as a legitimate chance. He already knows Scott Turner's system, so he's got an immediate leg up on Haskins. And I think he could look at Haskins and view him as potentially beatable competition. So if Teddy Bridgewater's agent learns that the market for him is not crazy, is not super robust, and if he then wants to choose a spot where there's a chance he could really showcase himself and where he has some comfort level with the offensive coordinator... I think it's a lot more realistic than many people are giving credit for. As for Cam, I, d- I truly have no idea. Well, maybe not no idea. I-, 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 I don't know what Matt Rule thinks of Cam, but I think it makes some sense that he would be open to dealing Cam because I doubt that Cam is viewed as a central part of his eventual long-term rebuild plan. Rule has a seven-year contract. He's got lots of time, lots of security. He certainly does not need to win right away. And is Cam, who has had some injuries, the guy who's going to take him to the promised land in three, four years? I don't really know what it would take to get Cam in a trade. And I'm not exactly jumping on the table for this move, but it would just absolutely shock me if Rivera wasn't considering that a very real option, a real a real potential option for acquiring some security at the quarterback position. Ron loves Cam. If Cam is fully healthy, I'm sure Ron has looked into it. Humor me, please, uh, on one more quarterback-related thing. Some of you were shaking your heads and tisk tisk tisking at me in disappointment through that last segment. Because how on earth could the Redskins afford to pay even second-tier quarterback money at this stage when they're already paying it to Alex Smith, $20 million plus, who won't be playing at all? And to that objection, I would make the following objection. Alex Smith, as a player who is going to be and should be considered a non-player, a non-option, he should be written off at the very least for the 2020 season. As of a few weeks ago, the guy was not even walking normally without a limp. And it's just an incredible leap to expect that he might be able to play professional football at the quarterback position at a high level in this calendar year. So Alex Smith being a player who should be totally written off for this season has a contract that, even though it is officially on the books and even though it is an albatross for the Redskins, should be viewed, in my opinion, as dead money, just dead cap, dead empty space. No different from the money left behind after cutting Josh Norman, for example. No different than the money that the Redskins still owe, at least from a cap standpoint, to Paul Richardson. Granted, less, but no different. Same type of money. Dead money that is shaved off the Redskins' cap, unusable, unavailable to them. It should not be counted in the quarterback budget, or at least it doesn't need to be. Do you follow this? Just because he plays quarterback and his contract is on the books doesn't mean it counts as quarterback money. It's just dead money. They they are necessarily going to have to make compensation for that elsewhere. Skimp elsewhere. Cut corners for it elsewhere because they essentially have a smaller cap number because of that dead money than other teams would, at least than they would in his absence. It's a smaller total cap, but they do not have to, and they should not, in my opinion, feel compelled to skimp at the most important position on the team, at the most important position on the field, because of Alex Smith's contract. Now, this is separate, mind you. I acknowledge this is separate from the discussion as to whether they need an upgrade over Haskins. And if I'm wrong, and if they feel super confident in Haskins, if they're ready to just roll with him as QB1 from week one and have some clipboard-holding backup just a warm body behind him, then so be it. Fine. That's great. Now you're saving at the position. That would be nice. I don't think they're in that position. I don't think they have that confidence in Haskins. If they did, that would be sweet. That would be ideal because you could now move forward spending a bunch of money elsewhere and saving at what is, for most teams, the most important, you know, the most expensive position. But if they feel they need a quarterback, then even though they have this cap handicap, so to speak, because of Alex Smith, I do not feel that they should feel compelled 
to save the money at quarterback. It's just dead money. It can be saved anywhere. You could spend a little less on the defense. You could spend a little less on the offensive line. You have to shave it somewhere or in a combination of places. But you don't have to shave it all there, and you shouldn't if you believe you can feel the competitive team and if you believe you need a good quarterback, even if it is just to push Haskins. So if you're the Redskins and you've got ample cap space, not the most in the league, not even, I don't think, top five, maybe they're top five-ish. I'm not sure after having tagged Sheriff if they're still up that high. If you think you need to spend, say, 18 a year on Teddy and if he can be had for that much, And if you think you can fit it in the budget otherwise, I don't think you rule it out because of what you're paying Alex. Because of Alex, you have to skimp somewhere, but you don't have to skip there. Okay, last thing. Last, maybe biggest thing. You did not click on this podcast and listen this far just to hear me talk about Dwayne Haskins. You want to hear me talk about free agency, baby, because it's starting tomorrow. And this is Ron's opportunity, arguably first major main opportunity to upgrade and build and shape his new version of the Redskins. And they've got a bunch of money and I think they're probably feeling frisky. Do I think that they're just going to go ape and sign three or four name brand players in the first 48 hours of free agency? Probably not. Uh, Possibly, but probably not. I think they'll probably sign at least one, maybe two guys that are kind of household names. And then some other, you know, starter slash key role players to decent contracts. It won't be a quiet free agency period, but maybe not quite the bonanza that a lot of people are hoping for. Here's why I think that. Yes, they have a lot of money. And yes, Ron probably thinks he has a good enough roster for a relatively fast turnaround. But I don't think he's a Super Bowl caliber team in 2020. I don't think they're trying to fill all the holes, solve all the problems arrive at all the conclusions for a February-ready team right away. That seems unrealistic, even if he has high confidence in his squad. Therefore, I don't think he's just going to throw a ton of money at a bunch of guys so that they got the best possible short-term solution for every position. I don't think he'll be afraid to pay big bucks to several players if he truly believes that they honestly, naturally, organically happen to be perfect fits for who he wants on the field, in his offense, in his defense, and in his locker room. I think if he sees, say, three, even four guys who are like big number starters, they can fit it all under the cap. If he sees those guys and he's like, yeah, these are freaking Ron Rivera guys. I want to roll with these dudes for the next four years. I don't see why he wouldn't pay up for them right now. So it could happen. But I think more realistically, they're going to pick and choose the ones that they truly believe are like core Redskins for the next three, four, five years. And if they can find two of those and then some lower level guys that'll just like be useful, I think that's probably where this is going to end up going. Because, yeah, you can roll over your cap. Don't forget that, people. If they have some left over, like he doesn't just have to use all this big number this year. He's probably going to want to save some so that next year, after they've made some incremental progress, he can truly know what he really needs at that time. And he's going to want to, you know, enough money to play around with in 2021, too. So I think they'll be active. I think they'll make at least one splash move, maybe two. But I don't think they're just going to be taking home run cuts at every guy. Now, one thing about this free agency period with the Redskins that I just feel in my bones, and I tweeted about this yesterday, and, you know, I had I got very mixed reaction. I know not all of you are all aboard on this, but I think if he shakes free, the Redskins will come hard and come correct at Amari Cooper, wide receiver, Dallas Cowboys. I think that he is just the type of wide receiver that Kyle Smith wants. He's got some seasoning. No fewer than five very productive years in the league. The fewest games he played in any of those years was 12, and the next fewest was 14. And guess what? In spite of that experience and that productivity, four years with 70-plus catches, four years with 1,000-plus yards, he's only 25. 
Some people think of him as old, but he's not even close. He's barely a year older than Terry McLaurin. Beyond that, he is a pro. Uh, I, I'm not, I haven't been able to find any quotes, any articles, anything about him describing him as less than a pro's pro. He went to Alabama. How freaking much does Kyle Smith love Alabama dudes? He runs really crisp routes. He's extremely versatile. I know that Scott Turner could do many, many things with him. He's a short intermediate and deep and big play threat. A true number one. And can you imagine McLaurin getting matched up on the other team's number two corner? The icing on the cake is that if you take him, then you make the Cowboys worse. So listen, I think that he's probably one of the top targets. I'm, I am I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know for sure. I just, it's logically, it seems like that's probably true. I know the Redskins have wanted him in the past, and I just can't think of anything that would disqualify him from being a key target for Kyle Smith. But of course, we don't know yet. We're not going to find out until tomorrow, probably, how it's going to go um, with him and with the Cowboys. I mean, they, they could probably still strike a deal, you know, right you know, tonight as I'm recording this podcast, making this whole thing sound completely idiotic in the morning. But otherwise, with the new CBA having been ratified and with the team only having one f- franchise tag to use, it seems like, you know, they're probably going to have to put it on Dak and Amari's going to shake free unless one of them can reach a long-term deal in the next, you know, 24 hours. If it does, ignore the last few minutes of this podcast. If not, I think the Redskins will go hard after Amari Cooper. Sorry if you don't think that they should spend at the receiver position. I know it's a deep uh, draft for receivers. I know that the Redskins have Kelvin Harmon and Steven Sims. I like them very much too. I think they both have bright futures. I don't think the Redskins probably, as a staff, are as certain about Harmon and Sims as maybe you and I are. If they can't get Cooper, I do think they will certainly try to add a starting caliber veteran receiver to make that room uh, a little deeper and a little more experienced. I guess Funches is an option. He was with Rivera in Carolina. Uh, that guy, Demarcus Robinson, who was with the Chiefs. He's a pretty good player. I saw him kind of matched up with the Redskins in some articles. He's pretty pretty fast and dynamic. Maybe maybe that would be an option. I do not think the Redskins should spend big at running back. I know that like a few other sources have said have linked them to Kenyon Drake, who's probably going to make a bunch of money. I do think Kenyon Drake is a good player, and I can see why the Redskins might want him because he's very versatile. He can catch passes. He would give you a little bit of that Christian McCaffrey sort of opportunity. I just don't think it's smart to spend a ton of money on a running back in general in this day and age in the NFL, but also this year when you got AP, you got guys, you've hopefully got love. I think if you want to, you want some more running back depth, you know, draft a guy in the middle or late rounds, you can get a good player late. Tight end is a huge need for the Redskins, and everybody has them going after um, Austin Hooper of the Falcons, and he's, you know, probably going to reset the tight end market and make $11 million a year. I do not hate Austin Hooper. If the Redskins get him, I guess I'll be happy that their offense has been upgraded. I personally am not as high on him as some others, and I don't think they should make him the highest tight end, highest paid tight end in football. Yes, I know that anytime anybody becomes the highest paid whatever, that that immediately immediately gets broken a week later, and that will happen for him probably. I still don't think he deserves it. I don't think he's, I'm not even positive he's like a top 10 tight end in the league. And I'm not alone on this. I mean, there, there are some, you know, expert type football guys who see him more as a good player who benefited from a good quarterback and never getting doubled because of the receivers they had in Atlanta. I think he's dependable, reliable. I think he's, he's good, versatile. He can block a little bit. I wouldn't hate having him, but I'm not as dead set on paying him $11 million a year as some are. I think I'd rather draft a guy, you know, relatively high, maybe with that third round pick who has a, a good high ceiling. You can, you know, everybody knows by now you can get really good tight ends in the third round. You can find Jordan Reed types, Kittles, Kelsey's in the second, third round. And then I would bring in a vet, you know, a vet that they that they like and trust. Uh, maybe Delaney Walker, who just got cut by the Titans. You know, the Redskins tight end coach Pete Hayner had uh, Walker years ago in San Fran. I'd be willing to pay up for that young, flashy, 
dynamic tight end if there was one, but I just, I don't think that's Hooper. I don't think he's as good as you guys think. So if they get him, fine. If they don't, I'm totally fine with that. They do need a tight end pretty bad, but I'm open to other options. If they don't have Trent, if they do think they're going to be able to move him or that he's not going to play for them, they do kind of need a, a tackle, don't they? I mean, I guess you got Morgan Moses on the right side, but who's your left? Because Jaron Christian Sr. seems to suck. I mentioned Jason Peters earlier. I mentioned maybe bringing Penn back. There's this guy that was in Seattle, George Fant, who I think is pretty good. They could think about bringing him in. Maybe they will throw a ton of money at Jack Conklin and either plug him in at right tackle where he's been really good for the Titans and ask Moses to swing over or try and make Conklin a left tackle like he did in college. Switching over to the defense, the Redskins definitely need... One really good starting corner, maybe two corners total in free agency. Most people have him going after Bradbury from Carolina because of the Panther connection. And I do think he's a good player, but I, I got to be honest, a little bit like I said on Hooper, I'm not totally sure he needs to be a $15 million a year man. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a shutdown corner. I think he's a good zone corner. So if they do sign him, they better be darn sure they're going to be playing mostly zone. And although that's typically Rivera's style, that has not in the past typically been Del Rio's style. So, I mean, obviously the two of them kind of know where they're going to be going, but I don't personally know exactly how they're going to plan to be coaching their secondary. If they sign Bradbury, we know they're going to be primarily a a zone-based secondary. Anyway, if you ask me, I'd rather spend a little bit less and bring back maybe, hey, a couple of old old friends, old familiar faces, Bashad Breland and or Kendall Fuller, anyone? I think they're both good players who will cost half as much. And I'd be happy to see either one of them, personally. Keep in mind also that the sort of aging veteran Chris Harris from the Broncos, who has played both slot and boundary corner in his career, but has really excelled in the slot, which would be a nice thing for the Redskins to have. He's getting up there in years, but he was made into an excellent slot corner by Jack Del Rio in Denver. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Redskins are players for Chris Harris. I'm going to pretty much gloss over defensive line and outside linebacker, or forgive me, in this day and age with the Redskins, it's obviously traditional for three defensive end that we're talking about in terms of pass rusher. The Redskins have something of an embarrassment of riches along the line, especially if you plug them in with Chase Young. So although I could see them signing some depth there, I don't expect any big uh, flashy moves in the front four. Uh, I do think they need a linebacker or two maybe, and I have no strong feeling about which direction they're going to go here. But one guy a little bit under the radar that I like is this guy Kwiatkowski, who was a bear previously. I think a fourth rounder out of West Virginia. He's like 27 now. Was a special teamer slash backup for a while and then last year emerged as a pretty darn good little starter in the middle. He just strikes me as a pretty good versatile inside slash middle linebacker. He can rush. He can cover a little. I don't think he'll be super expensive. He just desperately wants to be a starter and I think he deserves to be one. Who knows, he may not even be on the Redskins free agent board, but I like uh, Kwiatkowski from the Bears. Last thing, I do not think they'll be really big game hunting here, but I desperately think they need a safety to pair with Landon Collins, and I want them badly to just move on from Monte Nicholson, who I think is a total chucklehead and also not nearly as good when he's on the field as a lot of Redskins fans think he is. I consider him very unreliable, both as a tackler and in pass coverage. I would like to see him off the team. And in his place, because they're paying Collins so much, I doubt they'll go after one of the bigger names, like maybe Anthony Harris from the Vikings. But I don't see any reason why the Redskins shouldn't be in the market for a rangy coverage type safety, like a Demarius Randall or a Von Bell, or maybe Rashad Jones, who got released by the Dolphins. Or, and I know that this connection has been made by many, former Panther Trey Boston. He does play a pretty nice free safety, and he does match with Ron. So I bet he will uh, 
I bet the Redskins will be one of the final teams in contention for Trey Boston. So those are some of my thoughts on the Redskins as they approach free agency. I do not have any uh, high-grade insider info on who their actual primary targets are. I'm sorry. I didn't sit next to any coaches on a plane this year. I didn't get anybody's kid's JV basketball coach to DM me any insider stuff. All I've been able to do is put two and two together and draw some logical conclusions. Hopefully you find that helpful and or amusing. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be really interesting. I'm, I am into this. I'm really into the Redskins under Ron and just seeing what they become. I mean, not at all certain that they are going to quickly blossom into one of the league's better teams. Not at all. But I feel like I've seen enough to have some confidence that the Redskins are going to make some moves that make sense. And that's why that's what I love about following football so closely. It's just to, to see how a team approaches team building. And I got so tired and so beaten down year after year by the Redskins who, who made dumb, spiteful, stubborn irrational decision after decision. It really sucked a lot of the fun out of out of rooting for them. Not only because the team sucked, but you know, like there was you know, by the end there was no point in trying to predict what they would do. Because A, it didn't matter what they would do, and B, whatever they would do was like nonsensical half the time. But now I think it's gonna be fascinating how Rivera and his cap guy, Rob Rogers, and his now unshackled personnel guru, Kyle Smith. It's gonna be really interesting to see how they choose to build their team. And uh, they've got the resources and the opportunity now to make some consequential moves. So I'm really into it. And uh, I hope we have a fun, exciting week. Last thing here. uh, I feel like I need to pay some respect to the virus. To this point, I haven't really mentioned it, even though it's on the forefront of the mind of every American right now. Because, well, you don't tune into my stuff to hear my thoughts on global health. And because... Every asshole on social media has plenty of strong convictions about it already. Many of you know that in my real life, in my non-Burgundy life, I am a medical doctor. I generally prefer not to divulge a ton of detail about what I do or where I work because I don't particularly need any of you Dwayne Haskins stands showing up at my office to heckle me. But I, I do think I have a, you know, a certain capacity or a useful perspective in trying to wrap my head around the uh, implications of the coronavirus pandemic. To be clear, I am not an epidemiologist. I'm not an infectious disease specialist. I am not a virologist. If you know somebody like that, or if you follow somebody like that on Twitter, their opinion about COVID-19 is probably quite a bit more useful than mine. In case you should care about it, though, here is a very condensed version of my take. It is very serious, but we are going to get past it. You do have to do your part. Almost all of us will have to do our part so that we can get past it in a reasonable amount of time. If everyone ignores the rules and treats the next few days and weeks like snow days or holidays, then it will linger and this will be a really rough year. But I have very, very high confidence, honestly speaking here, I have very high confidence that Americans, including American healthcare providers, and then the remainder of the regular old Americans, are going to do enough over the next month so that while some certainly will be very seriously, and in some cases even mortally, affected, most of us, in fact, the vast, vast majority of us, are going to be fine. We're going to be okay. The current level of fear and panic that I'm detecting in my neighborhood and on my timeline is actually not in accordance, in my opinion, with the expected outcome here. It's too much. There's too much fear. Sleep tonight. Get some sleep tonight. We're going to be okay. Some people are sick and a relative few are are going to die. 
I am certainly not dismissing that. I am not making light of that. I spend all of my professional hours trying to prevent death. Trust me, I feel it is a worthwhile endeavor. But I feel that the country will get past this probably a little sooner than you're thinking. And I mean that medically and personally and socially and even financially. That's my take. I am but one man, and I'm far from an expert in the many, many key factors at play. But I am going to sleep okay tonight, and I'm going to live my life tomorrow. And I believe we are going to get through it together like we always do. So, let's all just agree to wash our hands and cover our sneezes and watch a lot of Netflix over the next couple of months and send the coronavirus straight back to hell. Okay, America? And Burgundy Nation? How does that sound? Okay, deal. (laughs) 